listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Well, that was an incredible reading from the book of Acts. We find ourselves in a series called Come Back Stronger, which is asking the question, how do we as the people of God, corporately and as individuals, come back stronger from this disruption of COVID-19 and the global pandemic? And we've been walking through the story of Jesus, his incarnation into our world, where he shows us how to live in the kingdom of God. His death on the cross, where he dies for our sins, defeats death. His resurrection from the empty tomb, those resurrection appearances to people like Mary, the disciples, the Emmaus Road, a couple on the Emmaus Road, to Peter. And then last week, we looked at the ascension when Jesus returns to heaven, to the control room of the universe. And this week, we look at the next, I guess, installment in this story. And the disciples would have been left wondering, why did Jesus leave? Why did he ascend at the moment when it seemed like everything was about to happen? Jesus himself told us why in John's gospel. Or in John 16 verse 7, he says this, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Spirit of God, which made these appearances in the Old Testament. The Spirit of God, which Jesus himself had breathed upon the disciples, is now going to be released with power from heaven. In fact, it was an ascent. Jesus had to go up for then the Holy Spirit to again come down. So we see this movement of in the incarnation, Jesus comes down to us. In the ascent, he returns. And the period we're now living in is when the Spirit has come down to be amongst us, to guide us, to counsel us, to empower us in this moment when we live as the church before Jesus' eventual return to the world. And so we live in this moment, which is the opposite of so many of our human values, Humans' great sin was to try and be like gods. At Babel, they had built this great tower to try and reach the heavens. John Stott says this in his commentary on the book of Acts. At Babel, earth proudly, and note that word proudly, tried to ascend to heaven. Whereas in Jerusalem, heaven humbly descended to earth. This is this mixture of humility the ways that Jesus walked in, that we're encouraged to walk in, with also this heavenly power. We've talked at Red about the fact that heaven and earth find themselves overlapping in God's kingdom. And we see this now pouring out, that overlapping in the kingdom of God that Jesus spoke of now comes with power and transforms this group of disciples. And this group of disciples had been through this incredible process. That's what we've been walking together as a church. They had experienced the death of their Messiah. This man who'd meant so much to them, who'd shown them God in the flesh, and yet who had died on the cross, bringing them into this incredible crisis. And so in this period, in between Jesus' death 
and the coming of the Holy Spirit, there's just been a process of incredible tumult. Their world is thrown upside down. But one of the great values that we talk about at Red is that we learn that whenever there is a crisis, that crises precede renewal. That if you experience a crisis in the world, that somewhere there is the opportunity for renewal is the next carriage in the train. And so this is such an important story for us at this moment of crises as a nation, as a city, as a globe, as individuals. And when you take apart what a crisis is, you also see that there's different elements to a crisis. When a crisis first happened, there is this element of disruption. I experienced this a number of years ago when I was a ministry intern, and I used to catch the bus to the church where I was interning at. I was crossing the road on Union Road in Mont Albert, and there was a zebra crossing, and I was looking at the main traffic on, on Whitehorse Road, and then out of my, my eyesight, in my blind spot, all of a sudden, the next thing I knew that I found myself on my backside. My laptop, which was the church's laptop, was between me and the road. And there was this bizarre moment where I just didn't know what had happened. People came out of shops and the driver got out of his car and did the strangest thing. He started punching himself in the head. And so I'm on my backside and I'm looking around at these concerned elderly shoppers uh, of, of, on Union Road with a driver who is punching himself in the head. And my plans for that day to go into work and get some work done, none of that mattered at that moment because my day had been profoundly disrupted. And so the first element of a crisis is your, your world is spinning. What just happened? And that's happened to our, our year. That's happened to our world. Our plans for 2020 have been profoundly disrupted. Your working patterns, your recreating patterns, your social patterns, your daily just schedule that you have has no doubt been disrupted by the crisis that we find ourselves in. And this has happened to the disciples as well. These were people who had relationships. They had jobs. The, many of the disciples were fishermen. They'd also been profoundly disrupted by the guy that they often would have looked to, the administrator, the guy who controlled the money, the sensible one, Judas, had actually done something unbelievable that no doubt they were still dealing with. He had sold Jesus out and betrayed them, taking his own life. This was a group whose lives had been profoundly disrupted. And this had thrown them into a kind of crisis. The second element of a crisis is destruction. As I was on the ground on Union Road those years ago, as the driver continued to punch himself in the head, I looked from this strange sight and, in a sense, felt my body. Was I okay? A little bit bruised, but I was fine. I hadn't broken any bones. I then got the laptop and my, my second fear was like, I'm okay, how is the church laptop going to be? And the church laptop amazingly was not broken. This is when they used to build them to last. They were very heavy. And so the second thing is that often a disruption then brings destruction. Thank goodness there was no destruction in my little uh, road incident there all those years ago. But sadly, sometimes crisis does bring destruction. We've seen in the world the destruction that this, this virus has brought to lives, to economies, 
to our social fabric, to even our international travel. And destruction is when something which is whole is then taken apart into little pieces. And the identity of the disciples, in a sense, was destroyed. Who they thought they were, the places they were from, who they were connected to. Jesus had said that his gospel was actually going to turn relatives against each other. It was going to turn the world upside down. And so in those days, those 40 days as Jesus was appearing, as they're getting their heads around what had happened with Jesus' death and resurrection, of who they were, what this all meant, where were their plans, what did this mean for them, what did this mean for their nation? Their world must have felt like it was put into pieces. I remember a number of years ago waking up one morning and I came into the lounge room and my brother had taken apart our VCR. This was in the years, probably unimaginable to some of you, before the internet, when my connection to the world was not through the internet, it was through a VCR. I loved soccer and I would record European soccer games late at night. The other thing I would record is Rage, that classic Australian music program that would come on really late and you would tape it. And my two things I was interested in, music and soccer, that was my connection, to see my connection to my great hobbies and the rest of the world in pieces on the ground was a profoundly uh, disturbing thing to see that morning. And I remember saying to my brother, like, you've taken it apart. What are you going to do? And he reassured me that he was about to clean it and put it back together. But there was this moment where I couldn't see what used to be my VCR on the ground. It was now simply a bunch of disconnected parts. And so the third part of a crisis is when everything feels undefined. The destructions happen, but you're looking at the pieces on the ground and they seem to have no organic hold to the other pieces. Before it was a VCR, now it was a bunch of electronic stuff I did not understand. And so there's this formlessness that comes in disruption. The disciples did not know now what Jesus' promises that he was, going to, he was going to restore Israel, that he was actually going to bring the kingdom of God. They had understood this through their sort of nationalist lens. They had put that in their own buckets of understanding and those buckets had been completely broken by what had happened. In many ways, that's a formlessness that many of us feel at the moment, this undefined reality. What will we be doing as a church in a few months? Will you be able to travel in the next year? Will you be able to go back to your office? What will your office look like? Will you be able to go to a football stadium with a bunch of fans and watch a game? Can you go to that concert? Will that festival be on? Will your life continue to stay in this unformed state? And we feel uncomfortable. There's a sense we want to get back to normal. But so many of the pieces are on the ground and maybe some things open up and maybe there's a little bit of forming over here. But we long to again see an organic whole. Now, the good news for my VCR all those years ago was that my brother had a screwdriver and he had had an understanding. I, had, I have no electronic brain at all. My brother does have a mechanical mind. And he was then able to put back the VCR and it worked even better than before. Now, what I didn't see was that moment of which seemed undefined was actually the moment before recreation. 
And I think that the moment that the disciples find themselves in, in those 10 days between ascension, when Jesus has left them, when imagine what they must have been thinking, these moments of incredible hope, but also the scripture says that, that they were doubting. And you had these angels say, look, don't look upwards, look sort of you know, horizontally now. Now they're trying to process what all this means. They've got some promises, but they don't have a present Jesus with them. Everything feels formless. But what they do at that moment is they pray and they contend. They pray in homes and they pray in the temple. And that year in Jerusalem, at that moment, this was a festival where all of these pilgrims would come through the Greco-Roman world. Jewish people would come back on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. People who converted to Judaism who were Gentiles, Gentiles who were trying to follow the one true God. They called them God-fearers. There was this great religious magnetic draw of people to the temple, which although dysfunctional at this time, still promised the presence of God. And this festival of Pentecost, which was around harvest and fruitfulness, a celebration of God's covenant with his people, Jerusalem must have been heaving. It was one of these true festival moments. There was an anticipation in the air. The disciples would have been worshipping in their home, carrying this secret that they'd seen the risen Jesus and then joining with the rest of the community who weren't aware of this secret. But there was an anticipation. There was something in the air. Above this formless group of humans, the Spirit was hovering in the heavens, waiting to descend. This makes me think of the second verse in Scripture, at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering above the, over the waters. What a moment where things feel pretty formless. We're at a moment, as we've said, where there's this sort of night that has descended upon us. And in moments like this, it can feel hopeless. We can go into this unreality, and it's almost happening at the moment, that we think that because we can move from groups of five to ten, that everyone's going to think it's going to snap back in a week, or in a few weeks we're going to be back to what we were. And we look to experts for advice and they're trying to give us things. You hear these time frames. Some people saying we're going to be back in six months. Time magazine two days ago talked about a two to three year framework. And we grasp for certainty and we don't know. It feels undefined and formless. The disruption has turned into a, distraction, distraction, a destruction which now just feels undefined. What does this mean for Red Church? What does it mean for your job? But at this moment, recognizing that over this formlessness that you feel at this moment, in between ascension and Pentecost, the Spirit hovers. And what seems like formlessness is actually the moment before creation. Just before renewal, sometimes there has to be a recreation. And then that moment, as the disciples gather and the Spirit comes upon them and their expectations are again completely undone. But what an incredible undoing. As God falls with power, all the imagery that we heard as was read out in the reading earlier, 
the sound of a rushing wind, the fire above people's heads. This is all language that they would have understood, symbology that meant that God is coming close, that heaven is near. Throughout scripture, people would meet with God at the top of mountains. Moses went up to the top of mountains to receive the law of God, the Torah. And there was this imagery of fire and storm, God coming in a cloud. This was also the imagery when the temple is filled with God's presence, when the tabernacle was filled with God's presence. But what's happening now is this is happening amongst ordinary people. God's heavenly holiness and power has come down. What a moment. What a transformation. What a change. The moment just before creation turns into the moment of recreation. And so the Spirit comes and completes this work in these disciples that we've journeyed with, with a bunch of people who often don't get it right, who are pursuing their own agendas, and are then transformed into these incredible apostles that go all over the world. Thomas, doubting Thomas, most likely ended up in India. There are churches in India who still in their liturgies speak Aramaic, the language of Jesus, which has almost but died out in the Middle East. There's all kinds of different stories and traditions of how far and wide the disciples who then became apostles went. And this moment transforms these people into this explosive new kind of human in the world. And today, as we remember, as we walk this journey, I believe we're at a similar moment, the moment just before recreation. And so we have to ask ourselves, why does the Spirit come? And at this moment, what can we learn from the Spirit coming? Because the Spirit wants to keep coming. That ascent, descent motif keeps happening in our lives. There's moments where we realize our faith gets supercharged, as we realize that Jesus is Lord, who He is, when we give everything to Him, putting Him above all of our lives, our work life, our love life, our friendship life, our fears about money, our fears about our safety, our fears about coronavirus. And as we recognize his lordship, the ascended Jesus at the commanding controls, at the center of the control room of the universe, at that moment as we recognize him in a humility of understanding where we begin and end and where God begins and ends, the difference between humans and God, what we can do and can't do and what he can do, in that moment of humility, then the spirit falls. And I want to just give three reasons I think it's Pentecost. We need the Spirit and what the Spirit does. The first one is the Spirit descends to make where you are holy ground. To make where you are holy ground. Technically, according to my plans that my planner had at the beginning of the year, I'm actually not meant to be here in Blackburn South. I'm meant to be in a field in the UK, where I was last year at the Wildfires Festival. At the Wildfires Festival, with a group of friends, I joined with a bunch of churches in England, calling out for the next great awakening. I think back to some of those sessions, which is some of the most powerful experiences of the Holy Spirit that I felt, that my family experienced. On the last day, in this incredible estate where this festival is held, which owned by a, a Christian couple who have given this place to God to serve God, I sat and had my quiet time on the last day and just thought, wow, the presence of God is so clear 
here. My thoughts seemed clearer. There was almost this pain in me that I had to leave and come back to Australia and Melbourne. Often when I fly in, there's just this sense of heaviness here, spiritual heaviness. And so I was meant to be there now, but I'm not. But where I've been throughout the coronavirus is actually somewhere closer. Every morning as I've gotten up and walked, we've all become walkers or joggers at this time. And I go for an early, early morning walk and there's a park which I rarely ever visited at the end of my street. It was owned by a couple who gifted it to the local city council and it's just dense Australian bush in the middle of a built up area. And most mornings I go and sit there and there's a little park bench surrounded by bush. And at first I just sat there and I just was like trying to process what was happening with coronavirus. Then I was giving to God what had happened. I was asking God to lead me. And then about a week ago, I was slowly walking through this dense bush in the middle of this park, not far from my house. And I felt the Lord say to me, Mark, this is holy ground. And I realized that I had been wishing and my heart had been yearning to go back to places which were on the other side of the world where I felt the Holy Spirit. But what he said is, Mark, no, I am now bringing that holiness here. Where you are is holy. Now, we've had the same thing with Red Church. There's so many great moments in the history of Red Church and all our different services where I've preached or been part of worship and God's done things. And at the apex of a service is the band is hitting the crescendo and the music is flowing and the spirit is moving and people are coming forward. There's moments where we've just so palpably felt the tangible presence of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have that now. You're watching in your home, maybe on a, on a phone, maybe on a laptop. I love some of the pictures coming in. People have like stuff perched on stuff and people gathered around. Maybe you're watching this by yourself with your family. Maybe you're at like your wit's end because you're an expert and you want to see people again. Maybe you've been parents and you've been homeschooling and you're just like waiting for that finish line of when students in your state or Victoria and else they can return home. Maybe you've been stuck with a group of people in a share house that, man, like this has tested the boundaries of Christian community. What if where you are is holy ground? What if what God is teaching us this year is it doesn't have to be a big festival in the UK, it doesn't have to be at, 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 at Japara House in Kilsyth or Nunawading SDAs. What if holy ground is literally where you are standing right now? And that's one of the great lessons that is coming in the midst of this crisis. And the spirit descends to make everywhere holy. The curtain is ripped in the temple of the holiest of holies from top to bottom upon Jesus' death. And that spirit's now going out into the world. And the spirit is saying, I want you to recognize that where you are holy, where you is, is holy. That you are priests, royal priests of my kingdom. Recognize this. And that leads us into the second point. The spirit descends, not just to make where you are holy, but make you holy. This group of Galilean fishermen getting it wrong, this group of, of women like Mary, this group of ragtag, unusual group of people, probably about 150, are radically transformed into the most transformative human organization ever seen in the history of the world, the church. Ordinary people made holy. 
You thought where you were is ordinary. You probably think you're ordinary. You've been stressed. You've been worried. You've been anxious. Maybe you've stayed up at nights worrying about your job. Maybe you're just collapsing into bed because you're just managing to homeschool and keep this all going. Maybe you've got more time on your hands than you want to have and you're worried and you're messed up and I did this the other week and I shouldn't have done this. You don't have to be perfect because Jesus has made you perfect and the Holy Spirit has come to make you holy. Your identity is not how you define it. It's actually how the Spirit is defining and changing you. And it read over the years, we've digged into all these wonderful ways to be a Christian, to be a disciple. We've written rules of life. We've looked at all different spiritual disciplines and practices. And we've looked at how do we have this spiritual formation of ourselves. And all of that is brilliant. But without the Holy Spirit, it just becomes more religious practice. And formation is awesome. But sometimes we need acceleration because we can't get there ourselves. And the Spirit is coming in the time of crisis to accelerate our growth. If you just say yes, you don't have to be perfect, you just have to be humble, a gentle heart willing to be made anew. And maybe in the midst of this time as you've lost control, as you've been fearful, your heart's actually like that formless earth and the Spirit is hovering over now wanting to re Make your heart in the midst of it. A.W. Tozer said that the dwelling place of God is ultimately the human. And the Spirit comes to re-enter you and to dwell inside of you because that's always how it was meant to be. The last point. The Spirit descends to make the world holy. This wasn't just a thing that the Spirit does to then give this incredible experience that the disciples then can write about. That night where the Spirit fell, that day where it fell and, and it was wonderful and what a great time they had and what psalms they sang. And remember the fire on our heads. The fire comes to actually say that God is present above his church, that he's present in his humans, that he's dwelling. But that fire isn't a fire that isn't meant to be just put into a cupboard and hidden from the world. It seems a long time ago, although it wasn't, but we saw the incredible multiplicational power of fire in our country in January as we were hit by fires that were just almost inconceivable in their scale. And all of those fires began with a lightning strike, someone lighting it, and then millions of hectares just filled with flame. Fire spreads. And the fire that fell on the disciples' heads was not just to be meant to be put into a lantern and hidden just to heat one religious room or light one religious room. It's actually a fire that's meant to go into the world. Kierkegaard talked about the fact that Christianity is incendiarism. Some Ponsonby quotes that in his book, More, that actually the Spirit comes to set us on fire. John Wesley, who started one of the greatest renewals in the British Isles and really in, went all over the world, even to Australia, said that burn with zeal for God. Set yourself on fire and other people will come and see you. Instantaneously, as the Spirit falls, it's like the people are pushed out into the streets and straight away as the Spirit comes, Peter Remember Sarah preached about Peter, that work that Jesus had to do with Peter. Peter who had denied Christ. 
is now forefront preaching the vanguard of the church, the bow cutting through the ice of the age, burning up and spreading in this new incredible way. Peter was more ordinary than you. Peter probably had more flaws than you. And he was the rock upon which God built his church, a man aflame with the Spirit. And what if at this moment, in the midst of this crisis, that a renewal is coming after? What if Australia, one of the most comfortable places to live in the world, but sometimes so forgetting of God? What if at this moment, God wanted to again light a fire and we as Red Church, you get to play a part in that. All you have to do is to simply pray, Spirit, use me. Crisis precedes renewal. We've said that for three years. Well, this is a pretty intense crisis. As our Prime Minister said, this is probably the greatest crisis we'll ever live through in our lives. As Christians, we know that the Spirit falls. The Spirit hovers over the moment of formlessness. The recreation happens before the renewal. Let's now step into asking the Spirit to use us to set a fire in our nation for Jesus.